0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Max Lucado said it this way, prayer impacts the flow of history. God has wired his world for power, but he calls on us to flip the switch. Prayer is that switch that unleashes the power of God.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. What does your daily prayer routine look like? Maybe you pray when you wake up or when you go to bed. Maybe like so many Christians, you struggle with making prayer a regular habit at all. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shows us a radical new way to think about prayer based on the teaching of Jesus. Jesus. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to
0: Victory. Some of the greatest speeches in history are very brief, but my favorite short speech is the one we're featuring this month on Pathway to Victory. It's Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Did you realize that his sermon can be read in less than 18 minutes? Even so, it's filled with practical counsel and deep wisdom that we can use every single day. Well, I've written a new book on this topic. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. And right now, you're invited to request your copy, but you need to get in touch right away because this time-limited offer ends this week. To receive a copy, just call, write, or go online to ptv.org. I'm pleased to send one to your home when you include a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Now, before I start today's message, let me give a shout out to all those of you who have given a generous gift in recent days. Radio and television can feel like a form of one-way communication as the programs go out each day. It might feel lonely at times were it not for people like you who respond by giving. You're a tremendous encouragement to me personally. But more importantly, your gift is helping others embrace the truth about Jesus just as you have. Well, right now it's time to turn our attention to Matthew chapter 6 as we look at one more profound statement that Jesus included in his Sermon on the Mount. So let's get started. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Prayer Life. How do we know if we're praying correctly? I'm glad you asked that question. Because Jesus answers that question for us specifically in the passage we're looking at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Notice what he says in verse 5. First of all, don't brag when you pray. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for the hypocrites love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Don't brag when you pray. Secondly, don't babble when you pray. That's what he says in verses seven and eight. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Now he's going to tell us how to pray beginning in verse six. But when you pray, go into your inner room Close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Secondly, he said, when you pray, not only pray secretly, pray simply. Pray simply. In fact, in verse 9, he's going to say, pray in this way. And he's going to give us that prayer that we know is the Lord's prayer. It's a simple prayer. Now, notice in this model for praying, the audience for our prayers. The audience for our prayers our Father. We approach our Father in heaven as a daddy, a Father who loves us, who wants the best for us. That's the audience of our prayers. And then notice the petition of our prayers. Jesus mentions five things that we ought to pray for. Two are related to God, and three are related to us. First of all, pray for God's reputation to be honored in your life. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we pray, we ought to remember our purpose in life is to glorify God. Hallowed be your name. Secondly, he said, pray for God's will to be done in the world and in your life. Pray for God's will to be done in the world and your life. Your kingdom come, verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we're praying for the kingdom of God, your kingdom come, we're praying for that future time when what the king wants done here on earth is actually going to be done. We're praying for that future kingdom to come. But in a sense, we're praying for aspects of it to come now. We need to do what we can right now to push back against evil in the world. I don't like the term social justice because it carries with it a lot of political baggage. But I do believe there's such a thing as biblical justice. And I think Christians ought to pursue biblical justice. As Christians, we worked and worked, we prayed, we tried to elect officials that would say, we're going to obey God as a country, we're going to hold the human life to be sacred and sanctified, that's God's will. When we pray for the kingdom of God to come, We're praying for it to come not only in heaven, but on earth. And by the way, when you pray for God's kingdom, God's rule to extend to earth, that includes your life and my life. To pray for the kingdom to come, to pray for God's will to be done is to pray for it to be done in my life. I want you to think about this for a moment. If throughout all eternity, you and I are going to be obeying God, don't you think we ought to get used to doing that now? Why would Christians wanna spend eternity with God if we're gonna obey God continually if they find it so difficult to obey God now? I was thinking about that old joke about the tourist in New York City who was lost. He was looking at a map. He couldn't make sense of uptown from downtown. And he asked a stranger on the sidewalk. He said, sir, can you tell me how to get to Carnegie Hall? And the stranger said, sure, practice, practice, practice. How do you get to be an effective servant of God, a resident of the kingdom? By practicing obedience now. When God says yes, you say yes. When God says no, you say no. We need to start practicing obeying God now because that's gonna be what we spend eternity doing. Kent Hughes talked about that implication when he said, when we pray your will be done, When we pray this prayer, we're asking God to do what is necessary to make his will prevail in our lives. And then comes with gracious, kind violence to root out all the impediments to our obedience. To pray this prayer may terrify us, but it will also deliver us from ourselves. That's what we're praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in my life as it's being done in heaven. Then thirdly, We're to pray for God to take care of our daily needs. We turn it from God's interest to our interest. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Now, that seems a little bit quaint. You know, in the Bible, the term daily bread is a reference to all of our needs physically, Food, water, clothing, shelter. And remember, in this culture, people receive their wages every day. You got just enough to meet your daily obligations. Now, let's be honest for us to sit around our kitchen table and pray, oh, you know, give us our daily bread when we have a pantry full of food seems a little bit disingenuous. And we know if we ran out of food, we can, you know, get something from Amazon Prime delivered in a few hours on our doorstep. So why do we need to pray for our daily food when it seems we have plenty? You know, I don't think any of us really realizes how tenuous our finances and our provisions are. I read a statement recently that has really made me stop and think. This financial expert said, "Every." Every person in America is just one bad decision or one bad circumstance away from being homeless. That's an interesting comment. We're just one bad decision or one bad circumstance away from being homeless. But just think about the truth of that. What would a stroke, a termination from your job, A divorce, a lawsuit, a metastasizing cell in your body, or an external event like another pandemic or a world war. Yours and my circumstances could change just like that. We're more dependent upon God than we possibly understand. Give us today what we need. Ultimately, everything we have comes from God. By the way, we don't just sit around a table and pray for it, we work for it. That's God's prescription in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. He said, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat. Now that doesn't mean we don't show kindness to those who can't work. But for everybody else, if you don't work, you don't eat. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. Ultimately, it's God who gives us the health, the strength to get up every morning and go to work and make money to provide for our family. That's God's way of doing it. Nevertheless, our ultimate dependence is upon God. Give us our daily needs. Number four, pray that God would forgive you and would make you a forgiver. He says in verse 12, and forgive us of our debts, our sins. Why should we, as Christians, pray to be forgiven of our sins? Aren't our sins forgiven the moment we trust in Christ as our Savior? Yes. That's judicial forgiveness. That's when God pronounces us not guilty. Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We already have judicial forgiveness. Our position with God is secure. But we need what many people call parental forgiveness. When we sin as a Christian, it's not that God moves away from us, but we move away from God. And we need that daily forgiveness for our sins so that we can be in a right parental relationship with God. There was a famous Bible teacher, not that many years ago, who taught and was on the radio and wrote books about this, what he believed was a fact, and that is that Christians never need to ask God for forgiveness. That was the whole basis of his ministry. Christians don't ever need to ask for God's forgiveness. As you, if you as a Christian ask God for forgiveness, that's an insult to God because you're asking him to do what his son has already accomplished for us. He didn't understand the difference between judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse was written to Christians. We need to ask God's forgiveness. Interestingly, this man who spent his career teaching this, it was discovered that he was leading a secret double immoral life. He needed God's forgiveness more than he knew he needed God's forgiveness. Forgive us of our sins. As we have forgiven our debtors. There's an inseparable link in the Bible between receiving God's forgiveness and granting it to others. In fact, Jesus expands on that in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you of your transgressions. Does that mean we lose our forgiveness if we don't forgive others? No. But what it means is this, if you find it, as I hear so many so-called Christians say, if you find in your heart that you cannot forgive, you will not forgive another person, it's not that you lose your salvation. Instead, it's a good indication that you never received salvation to begin with. Because the fact is, only when you understand the huge debt from which God has forgiven you, only when you acknowledge that, Are you really in a position to forgive other people? Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then finally he says to pray for God to protect you from temptation. Lead us not into temptation, verse 13, but deliver us from evil. Wait a minute, I thought God doesn't tempt people. The word tempt means to entice to do evil. He doesn't tempt us. James 1, 13 and 14 says, "'Let nobody say when he's tempted. "'I'm being tempted by God, "'for God cannot be tempted by evil, "'and he himself does not tempt anyone.'" The word tempt means to entice to do evil, and the Bible says clearly God doesn't tempt anybody. Satan is the one who tempts us to destroy our faith. God doesn't send temptation into your life but he does send trials into your life. In James 1, the same chapter, verses 2 and 3, James said, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Remember this, God tries us to strengthen us. Satan tempts us to destroy us. That's the difference between a temptation and a trial, but here's where it gets interesting. Although there are two English words, trial and temptation, there's only one Greek word that describes both, the word parasmos. When James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, that is parasmas. When James says, let nobody say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, uses the same word, parasmas. So. Which is it? The word parasmas simply means a difficult situation. A difficult situation like the loss of a job, the death of a mate, uh, financial difficulties. Parasmas, it's a difficult circumstance. And that can be both a temptation and a test at the same time. When you go through a difficult situation, God is going to use that difficult situation to strengthen your faith. But he can, Satan can take the same situation and use it to destroy your faith. It's the same word, a difficult situation. So how do I know if a situation's a trial to strengthen me or a temptation to destroy me? Ultimately, it depends on your response to it. If you say no to the difficult situation and hold on to your faith, it will strengthen you. If you give in to it, it will destroy your faith. Now, that's why Jesus said, Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into a parasmos, a difficult situation. It's like many students would be praying right now if they could as they face final exams. Teacher, if it's all the same to you, I'd like to skip this final exam. Because with every final exam comes the possibility of success or failure. So a lot of students would say, let's just skip it all together. But if I do have to go through this exam... Help me to pass it. That's what Jesus was saying. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, keep us away from difficult circumstances because there's a possibility I could pass or fail the test. But if I do go through a difficulty, if that's part of your plan, deliver me from making the wrong choice, deliver me from evil. That's what we pray for. You know, um, this is a very practical chapter. I close today with three brief words to discover the secret for powerful praying. Just three words I want you to remember and then we're through. Number one, the word consistent. Consistent, don't fall into the trap of thinking if you don't have an hour or 20 minutes to pray, you can't be effective in prayer. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Make it a part of your daily habit like breathing. When you get up in the morning before your feet touch the ground, God, help me today. Help me to honor you. Keep me from evil, I pray. As you go throughout the day, as you're driving on the freeway, as you're going into an important meeting, Lord, help me. Give me the words to say. If you're dealing with a difficulty circ- circumstance, Lord, help me, I pray. Pray throughout the day. And then pray before you go to sleep at night. Let the last words you say or think be a prayer to God, thanking Him for the good things of the day confessing any mistakes you may have made. Consistent. Secondly, the word specific. Specific. That is, be specific in what you're saying to God. You know, I used to think people who wrote out their prayers had to be the most unspiritual people in the world. And some of my previous churches would have a deacon. Deacon so-and-so would be called on to pray, and he would say, now let us pray. And when everybody had their Heads bowed and eyes shut, he'd pull out subtly a piece of paper and he would read his prayer. Of course, I would have my eyes open. So I think, you know, what an unspiritual guy this is. He's so out of the habit of praying, he has to write out his prayers. But I've begun to appreciate that more. I don't know about you, it's easy for my mind to wander. And many times I'll sit down on my computer and type out my prayer to God so I can be specific about what I'm talking to the king of the universe about. If you don't want to write them out, just try this. At least vocalize your prayer. Instead of thinking your prayer, vocalize your prayer. It will help you be specific when you pray. And then finally, the word, not only consistent and specific, but honest. Be honest with God. C.S. Lewis said, when we pray, we ought to lay before God what is in our heart, not what ought to be in our heart. Be honest with God. Is there something you really want? Tell him about it and leave it to his wisdom to decide whether to give it to you or not. Be honest. Tell him what you want. Are you angry with somebody? I don't care how angry you are. You're probably not as angry as the psalmist. When he said in Psalm 137 verse 9, Lord, I'm so angry, I want you to take the babies of your enemies and dash them against the rocks. Hardly a pro-life prayer. (laughs) But it was an honest prayer. If you're angry, tell God about it. Are you disappointed in God? His shoulders are broad enough to take it. Tell him of your disappointment. Pray what is in your heart, not what you think should be in your heart. Prayer in the end is an open, honest, specific communication with the one who loves you. A few years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. and I stopped by to see the president I walked into the Oval Office, and there was a highly decorated general seated in front of the president's resolute desk. He stood up. We exchanged pleasantries, and uh, this highly decorated uh, general was looking at the president, and the president said, you know, general, when you think about it, Robert is more powerful than you are. And that general got one of those, what in the heck are you talking about, looks on his face. He said, no, general, just think about it for a moment. Every day, Robert talks to the one who controls everything that happens in this universe. And he was right. But you know what? That privilege isn't reserved for pastors, for popes, or priests. It's available to every true child of God. And when we enter into that throne room of God, we are talking to the one who made us, who loves us most in this universe, and the one who is concerned about every aspect of our lives. That's the power of prayer. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are granted instant access into the presence of our Creator. That's the highest privilege of all. And it's a benefit that we ought to exercise every single day. So if you're prepared to learn more about what it means to connect with your creator, then I want to send you my brand new book. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus. There's a complete chapter given to this topic, plus many others. The premise of my book is simple. If you were given the opportunity to sit with Jesus for a cup of coffee, what would he choose to say to you? Well, I think he'd talk about the things that matter most, both to you and to him. And those mission-critical topics are woven into the most powerful sermon Jesus ever gave. It was an 18-minute talk that we call the Sermon on the Mount. In his most famous message, Jesus gave timeless wisdom on navigating real-life issues, such as cultivating happiness, developing healthy relationships, and even dealing with our enemies. You're invited to request your copy of my brand new book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. And in fact, when you respond today, I'll also include a stack of 10 encouragement cards from this series. Each one identifies a major teaching point from Jesus and shows how you can apply those principles in your daily life. Let me assure you that your generous gift is greatly needed, and when you give, you are truly making a difference. Pathway to Victory has become a daily oasis of hope for millions around the world. Thanks for standing with us by giving your generous gift today. David?
1: Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. To receive a copy of the brand new book by Dr. Robert Jeffress called 18 Minutes with Jesus, simply contact the ministry of Pathway to Victory with a generous gift. As an added bonus, we'll also include a set of 10 encouragement cards. Call us toll-free at 866-999-2965 or visit our website at ptv.org. And when you give $100 or more, we'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series along with a study guide. This is the last week, though, that this offer will be made available. So don't wait. Get in touch right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. You could also send your donation by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Well, we all need money to make ends meet, don't we? But Jesus had a lot more to say about what we do with our income. Hear a message called Straight Talk About Your Money. That's Tuesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffers on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sites for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel. To learn more, go to ptv.org.